Gather round, take a seat, relax. It's the Fabringen with Rabbi Levi Afton, right here on 101.9 High FM. This is 101.9 High FM. My name is Rabbi Levi Afton of Linksfield Shul, and it is good to be with you on this beautiful Tuesday afternoon. I hope you're well. I hope your family's well, and sending blessings your way. Past few weeks, I haven't been live on the show. Various um, traveled overseas, had to do, unfortunately, a funeral. But it's good to be back here this week live with you. I want to today tackle a topic that is very much in the headspace at this time of the year. As school comes to an end, as the year kind of wraps up, and we make plans for the coming year. And that is education. Education. Um, you might sit there saying, okay, he's a rabbi. I know what he's going to say. <laughs> well, to that I say, wow, am I that predictable? But I want to tackle the conversation of education from a bit of a different angle than we usually tackle it. By asking a simple question, what is education? Everyone talks about the importance of education. It's a agreed-upon consensus that education is important. The question is, what is education? Or to specify, what what are you educating the person towards? Once you know the destination, what skills are you giving them to get to the destination? So if you ask the average person, what is education? The answer might sound something like this. Education is about giving the kids the skills and knowledge to navigate a complex world so that they can achieve success, they can make it within this world, they can take care of themselves financially and have the self-esteem to be able to go chase their dreams. Now, maybe that was a bad um, sentence, but pretty much most of educa- most people will respond that education is fundamentally the idea of giving your kids the skills for the future, okay? Let's go with that assumption. What skills does somebody need for the future? So if right now your child is going into pre-1A, as they call in America, or grade R um, over here, or grade 1 for that, for that matter, they're going into grade 1 and they are starting junior primary school, knowing that they will graduate in 12 years. So if they're entering in 2022, they're going to be graduating in 2033. Okay, so what do we know about the world of 2033? Very little. We can make assumptions. We can make assumptions that technology will be even more dominant. We could make assumptions about the political stability or instability that will be on the time. Um, we can make assumptions about which skills will still be necessary and which skills will be totally redundant with the world of AI. So if we're looking at the future through that narrow prism, through that narrow um, single narrative, and that is what jobs will be successful and be, and what skills will be necessary in 12 years' time. So then you see this saying, okay, I'd imagine that my child will need X, Y, and Z to survive. But the truth is, we know nothing about the future. 
What we do know is that each and every day, the future becomes and life becomes more complex. So will your child need a lot of the things you're teaching them? Maybe, maybe not. But here's one thing they definitely will need. Morality. They'll definitely need to know the difference between right and wrong. And the truth is not only in 12 years' time, but today, the single biggest skill to be able to thrive during COVID is not only to use that fancy word that everyone started using two years ago, pivot. It's to have an inner resilience, to have a resilience that comes from knowing what's right, what's wrong. We over, we underrate the role of morality and we overrate the role of skills, etc. Now, I'm not saying mathematics and science and history and language are not important. But I, I am saying that they are secondary in importance after a strong moral code. Now, people will say to that, oh, wow, gosh, Rabbi, you're overstepping. Or they'll say, Yes, but morality can be taught at home. Now, true, morality can be taught at home. But how much hours a day are you focusing on morality? Pretty much, when I'm sending a kid to the school, and the single biggest reason why I'm sending a child to a school is for sports or academics, and I'm saying I could do morality at home, Maybe that's not our intention, but what the child hears is morality is much less important than sports and academics because my parent is deciding what I'm spending most of my day for the next 12 years, and their decision was not based on which place will give me the values, which place will give me that sense of belonging, which place will give me a sense of identity. No, they asked themselves which place I'll achieve the most success in sports, academics, or any other um, hobby or talent that I might have. And educationally, that's a bad message. Because our kids ought to know that the most important thing, dream we have for them is that they grow up to be mentions, that they grow up to be solid, that they grow up to be people with good values, people who can have the humility for good relationships, can realize that life's not about them, but about the other, can realize that they were put into this world by, for a purpose by the creator of all beings. That's the most important thing. Whether they have a high-achieving um, degree or whether they're doing a maybe lower skilled job, yes, there's a difference, but it's not nearly as important as whether they are deeply moral with strong convictions or they're a person who has expendable morality and weak convictions and pretty much whatever you want me to believe in to get the job, then fine, I'll believe in that because my success is more important than what I stand for. 
So in this time of the year, while people are choosing which school to send their kid to, when at this time of the year, when people are making decisions that are going to have long-term ramifications on their child's life or on their own life, it's so important that we add one more thing into the mix. That it's not only where will I actualize myself, and it's not only where will I achieve the best potential to make it in this world. No. It's where will I grow up in an environment that the legacy morality principles of the place will be so strong and so clear that I'll be permeated with a sense of purpose, that I will know why I'm here and not only how to navigate this world. This is 101.9 Chai FM. My name is Rabbi Levi Aftin of Linksfield Shul, and this is the Fabringen Show. I'd like to play a beautiful piece of music. It's called A Yid by Benny Friedman. This is 101.9 Chai FM. This is the Fabringen with Rabbi Levi Aftin on 101.9 Chai FM. This is 101.9 Chai FM. My name is Rabbi Levi Aftin of Linksfield Shul, and today we're talking about the vital conversation, and no question about it, one of the more controversial conversations about education, because education gets to people. There's no question. As much as many people might say, oof, I don't want to educate, there's no question education gets to the heart, because ultimately, if somebody is talking about education, it seems to imply either a critique or a compliment of our education, because most of us are trying to educate our children either the way we were educated or opposite the way we were educated, but we're educating with a very strong agenda. And when somebody comes and starts talking about education, if it doesn't fit our definition, it gets really personal because what you're trying to say is you don't feel I'm raising my children right. So let's just uh, clear the air. It's an objective conversation. We're, we're talking ab- about education. In no way is this there to attack anyone. It's just to explore is there another way of looking at education and when we look at education from this way can it have ramifications on which school we choose for our children and what kind of life we set up for our children now the inspiration to this conversation is a dear relative of mine it's my aunt who passed away last week and it's still in her shiva the shiva will be finishing um, i think thursday morning you see my aunt in Jerusalem, my mother's sister, young woman, her name was Batya Kohen, or maiden name Batya Chazan. And this woman of 70 years old, and was probably somebody you never heard of, I'm pretty much sure. And if you bumped into the street, you would just see another, you know, religious woman walking down the streets of Jerusalem. And yet this woman held within her an incredible narrative, an incredible story, an incredible strength, which I believe has much to teach us about ourselves and much to teach us about the role of education. You see, I've mentioned it before. My mother's family comes from Russia. They were born in the former Soviet Union, not by choice, but simply because the government did not allow them to leave. So after losing their entire family in the war, my grandparents had no choice 
but to stay in Russia until the Russians gave him permission to leave in 1966. So with your permission, I'm going to read something I wrote to my community this past weekend about my aunt, because I think this story and the lesson that takes that comes out of it pretty much says my point better than I could say it. My aunt's name was Batya, which literally translates as daughter of Hashem, daughter of God. She was named after her grandmother, my great-grandmother, her father's mother, who was killed by the Nazis. So my great-grandmother Batya was shot with her husband, son, daughter, and daughter-in-law, and four grandsons into a pit um, just over 80 years ago in September. Um, August or early September 1941. So my aunt was 70 at her passing. And here's a story I wish to share. It's the early 1960s in the suburbs of Moscow and in an area called Bolshevo, where my grandparents managed to live. The government gave them a bit of a piece of property and they had a little house there. And in this house, they managed miraculously to sustain a vibrant Jewish life, despite the illegality of it and the complexity of being religious, let alone Jewish, let alone human in the former Soviet Union. Now, my grandparents had a mikveh in their house. They had a matzah oven in their house and lived a, a, a beautiful Jewish life. For many years, my grandparents didn't send their kids to Jewish, uh, to the, not, sorry, not Jewish. There were no Jewish schools. My parent, my grandparents did not send their children to school because they were afraid of the anti-religious dogma that the schools were preaching, at least in the early years of communism. But as communism became more and more dominant, the schools were no longer preaching anti-religion because there was no one to preach to. Nobody was religious anymore. And therefore, the schools of the 1950s, 1960s were very different to the schools of the 1930s and 40s. So my grandparents finally allowed their children to go to school, but obviously make sure that the Yiddish guide at home was extremely vibrant. And my grandfather would te- and grandmother would teach all their children everything they possibly can know about Judaism from how to uh, kosher an animal to studying the Talmud for hours and hours and end, especially over the weekend, to supplement or rather to give the fundamentals of the education. But on Shabbos, my uncles and aunts did not go to school. At some stage in the early 60s, the government, the local mayor, the local uh, town, they reached out to my grandparents and they made it very clear that if my grandparents don't send their kids to school on Shabbos, they will take the kids away from the parents for negligence, put them away in foster homes, and pretty much send the parents away for good. And they would never have any contact with their children again. So the family had a meeting, and they managed to negotiate with the local government that one child would go every week to represent the family, just for the principle of it, and they would go to school on Shabbos. However, for this family, this passionately religious family, it was non-question that they would not desecrate Shabbat. So, for example, there was no Eruv, there was no um, 
wait to carry. So my aunt made sure to leave her stuff in school on Friday. Um, she didn't take the bus or anything. She walked that Saturday morning. This was the first Saturday morning, the first Shabbos morning after they had the agreement to the government. And it also happened to be the first day of Rosh Hashanah. And my aunt Batya, who at the time was in her young teens or maybe a preteen, is the one that chooses voluntarily to go to the school that day. She shows up to school. And this is this is how my grandfather describes it in his book. On Shabbos morning, she turned to her father and with glistening eyes, softly requested that he wait for her for Kiddush. She arrives in school. The math teacher was anti-Semitic. Batya, she roared, come write the answer to this example on the board. Batya was willing to answer the long, complicated math problem by heart. And yet, screamed the teacher, write it on the board. But I am Jewish, said my aunt. I can't write on Shabbos. Well, what is it? Are you the only Jewish student in this class? There are many Jews, and they are writing. The teacher shrieked and shouted till the principal entered. What's going on? Did the Chazan girl come to school today? Oh, she did. My, my mother's maiden name was Chazan. That's the family name. Wonderful, says the mayor. The, sorry, the principal. The teacher says yes, but she refused to write the answer on the board. The principal looks at young Batya, trembling but strong, and says, stand up and do the example on the board. To which Batya courageously says, I can't. It's Shabbos. She's shaking, but she does not cry. Because she knows exactly what she's standing for. Now, just imagine the scene. Communist principal, teacher, and I believe the mayor of the town also came at this time. They're screaming at a defenseless little Jewish girl. The cries and shouts reverberate in the school hallway overheard by the visiting mayor of the city. He was shocked at the actions of the school staff members and was excited that Chazan actually sent a child to school. Do you know the answer to the math? When Batya nodded, the mayor asked Batya to verbally answer, and he will write for her. She does so. And the principals and the mayor says, is the answer correct? Yes, says the teacher, but she did not write it. Leave the child alone. And so it happened for lesson after lesson the entire day. Finally, mid-afternoon, she runs home. She couldn't wait to embrace the family, parents, siblings, and friends. She comes home. Father waits to make Kiddush, blows the shofar for her, and gives her a taste of Rosh Hashanah. Now, how many preteens do you know can stand up like that? For something that has similarly, at least assumingly, no benefits. This is not going to help her career. This is not going to help her, um, you know, develop the future skills she'll need to be successful in the workplace. My aunt never took these skills and moved into the workplace. She raised an incredible family of about a dozen, uh, I believe, a dozen children, close to a 100 grandchildren and dozens of great-grandchildren and growing together with her husband in a small, tiny flat in Jerusalem. So when I think of my Aunt Batya, who, as I mentioned, passed away just under a week ago, I ask myself, how do I raise my kids to be even 10% as strong as that? Not strong for the sake of 
physical strength or determination just to succeed. Strength for principle. Strength to know what I stand for and what I stand against. Strength to know that on my shoulders is the incredible privilege and responsibility of where I come from and where I'm going. That is education. Everything else complements it. Everything else supplements it. Everything else can be there. But in no way can there be anything in education that takes precedence to what we are. What's our story about ourselves? What's our story about our world? Through what prism, through what perspective do we see reality? Because in schools these days, we teach them lots of facts and lots of knowledge. But how do you interpret that knowledge? What's your fundamental worldview through which everything's interpreted? Because let's be honest, we all interpret facts based on our bias. And when I'm not using the word bias negatively, but we all interpret facts based on our worldview. Who forms your child's worldview? Your, the TV? Netflix? Conversations? Society? Or is there something so much deeper than that? And my dear aunt, may she, you know, rest in peace and may her neshama have an aliyah. For me, she's an incredible reminder that at the core, the greatest gift you could give a child is what my grandparents gave my aunt and her siblings, knowing what she is and what she stands for. This is 101.9 Chai FM. This is the Fabringen with Rabbi Levi Avtson on 101.9 Chai FM. It's a tough one. Let's be honest. We're talking about education. We're talking about the role of principle in education. It's a tough one. We all come from our background and we all see the world from our worldview. And what we were taught is important is what we often teach our children is important without asking ourselves objectively, is it really important? So, for example, a lot of the things you got in your education you have not found any use of in your life. And yet, often we're giving our kids the exact same thing because just in case. Well, I don't believe in educating just in case. I believe you educate for things that are definite. Definite things that your child will need in life. And then everything else, if you have enough time to fit it in, then you fit in the stuff for just in case. But here's what is not just in case. There is no question that each and every day with the world we live in, we are facing tests, challenges that go to the core of who we are like we've never been tested before. What technology has opened up to us. Um, and I'm not only talking about, you know, inappropriate things we could see. Principles like knowing that the amount of likes you get on your Facebook or Instagram posts don't really define you because you're here for something else. Principles like not what can the world do for me, but what can I do for the world? Principles that say it's not about how much money I have in the bank, but how much money I've shared with others. Principles that encourage me to focus my time on the people I love, even at the expense of my career. Principles that tell me that a good life is a life not only well-lived, but well-loved. A life well-loved. A life that the people around me knew that I am there for them. The people around them, around knew that they are more important than me. This is the kind of stuff 
that a so-called education system doesn't teach unless it's an education system fundamentally built on values and everything else fits in there. And that's why I'm so passionate about Jewish education, so passionate about parents choosing their school for their child based on what will give the kid a incredible sense of identity. And I know that Chai FM is not only listened to by Jewish people, it's listened all over the country and internationally. And therefore, it's, 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 it's a, it's a general principle. It's not whether you're Jewish or not to find a school that first and foremost will give your kid a narrative of who they are in this world, a narrative of what they're here to do, a narrative of ask not what the world can do to you, but what you can do for the world. That is the fundamental. Everything else the child can figure out. I often find it tragicomic, and that's being polite. When parents will sit there saying, yeah, morality, they'll figure it out themselves. Come on. But the, the other stuff, the academics, that I have to educate for. In other words, I'm seeing the principles as, yeah, they'll pick it up. It's fine. It's it's not that important, or it is important, but they'll get it from home. They'll get it from, you know, a few nice conversations. How can you drill values into a child by a few nice conversations? Especially that even when kids are home today, they're spending less and less time conversing with their parents, right? Most people at home, we're going straight to our phones, our TVs, our Netflix. So the idea that homes raise children more and more, it's schools that raise our children. It's a tragic fact, maybe not ideal, but that is the reality, that the, the place that the, our children get the most focus on being educated is school. So if that's the case, we choose a school that will educate our children in the things that are deeply important. Nobody sits there saying, uh, you know, my kid will just figure out maths themselves. No, but somehow when it comes to values, we do say it. Another thing that people say about education is I don't want to impose on my children the values I believe in. Let them choose themselves, which is the most ridiculous statement. Why? What do you mean impose values? When you tell your child not to cross the street alone or not to run in front of a moving car or um, when they're playing cricket to make sure the ball doesn't go slapping into their face, um, are you imposing on them? No. You're teaching them how to navigate the world. A child is born into this world clueless. Yes, they might have some innate um, intuition, etc., but fundamentally, we bring children to the world and we help them navigate this world. We teach a child not to eat that. Don't touch that. Don't go there. How's a child supposed to know? And yet when it comes to values, no, my kid will figure it out. Why? They didn't figure out about not running in front of a car until you told them. Why is values so up for chance. You're not giving your kid a uh, uh, um, much of a choice whether to go to school. You don't give your kid a choice whether to wake up in the morning. You don't give a kid a choice whether to eat or not or shower or not, etc., etc. And somehow when it comes to values, I don't want to impose. In other words, what I'm saying is values are not important to me because if they were important, I would impose them. Obviously, I'm not talking about when your kid's 20, but for a five-year-old, what do you mean you're giving your kid choice? How's the kid supposed to choose? You're not even introducing them to what to value. 
how can they choose if they've never actually seen it? Every one of us will eventually choose something in life. You know, people sit there saying, oh, gosh, you grew up religious. You never chose it. What? Religious people don't have an adolescence. Religious people don't have moments of doubt. We all end up choosing our life. Many of us will end up choosing the way we grew up, and some may not. But we all end up choosing. But the gift of education is that you give your kid the possibility of making a much better informed choice because they know what they're choosing. How's a kid supposed to choose Judaism or faith if they were never introduced to it? Or, or if, yes, superficially. How can we put values and tradition up to chance? We don't do it to anything else that's important in our life. Why would we do it to values? This is the Fabringen with Rabbi Levi Afton on 101.9 High FM. So when choosing a school for your child or for yourself, you ask yourself a simple question. What school will give me the, the best chance at knowing who I am and why I'm here and giving me a vision for the future? And which school has good academics? That's important, but secondary. But first and foremost, which one will give me the why? Because as Nietzsche said, he who has a why can endure anyhow. And today, in our time, the why is more important than ever. The how, we'll figure it out. You could always compliment education. I could talk to you from my own experience. I grew up with zero secular education, not something necessarily I recommend, but just my reality. And at some stage in life, I want to introduce myself to knowledge. And believe it or not, I taught myself a lot, not everything. And it's not necessarily the education I'm giving my children, but I did learn from my own experience in this in this world that if you want to learn something, you can. But here is what is really hard to learn later on in life, values. Because the more they're ingrained, the less you have to battle for them. It's unfair to take a child who pretty much hasn't thought about values, and now they're 18 years old entering the world, and they don't have those stuff ingrained. It's not fair. Just like it's not fair to teach them schools, the skills of how to live, how to eat food, have a shower, etc. So too, it's unfair to not give them a why. In a world more depressed, more confused, more anxious than ever, it's not the how that will help us navigate it. It's a why. So choose a school that will give your child a why. Choose a community that will help you find your why. Choose a mentor whose why is so clear that by hanging around them, your why will become clear to you. Finishing off this show with a beautiful song in Hebrew from Akiva, singing it together with Yishai Riva, Altas Viyadayim, don't give up, don't drop your hands, hold on tight, and guess how you do that? Through values. This is Rabbi Levi Aftsen of Linksfield Show. Have a great day.